Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Miss Sharon Pierce. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back in the studio with you and looking forward to a great day. Oh, absolutely. And it's great to be in the studio. How many times have I said that? <laughs> Tell you what, over the last year with COVID and, you know, just having to be distanced, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. I think everybody's ready to get back together. Ah, I am. I can't wait to hug everybody. I don't even care if I know them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, we actually had, you know, Mother's Day and it was our first event Mm -hmm. um, in the past year. And it was actually pretty nice. You know, everybody had been, you know, we've all had our shots and so forth. So, but it was, it was so nice to be able to get together again. Mm -hmm. I'm just so happy you finally got your shot. You know, you shamed me. You shot shamed me. I wanted you to. Did. <laughs> and then I went and got the Johnson & Johnson. And you know, like a week later, they announced about this blood clot stuff. Oh, and Jesus. Then, I, mean, you know, uh, I mean, these six people out of eight million, I really got scared that I was one of them. You should be you know? scared. So. <laughs> <laughs> you should be scared, but I'm uh, glad you're vaccinated. I am. I am. I'm one shot and done. One and yep. done. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, I'm looking forward to our topic today and our wonderful guest. Hi, Marjorie. How are you? Just peachy. Peachy. Glad to be here with y'all. Yeah, Marjorie Everson out in the wonderful state of Montana. Yes. Nice and quiet out here. (laughs) She's one of the best huggers I know, so I can't wait to see Marjorie. You've had your shots, right? Yes. Okay. I have <laughs> the best huggers I know. That is a wonderful she title. Is. She is. She's a great <laughs> hugger. I love hugging. Does anybody else tell you that, Marjorie? Yeah, I think several people do. Okay. All right. So this title <laughs> so is well earned. You, I'll give you a big hug. And yeah, you I'll can you a big judge hug and for you yourself. Can, okay. All right. 
And, and Sarah, I promise there's nothing. It's just a hug, okay? <laughs> Unless it's a really, really no, good hug, Marjorie. And then, you know, maybe we'll talk later. You know, drinks, but, you know. It's all about the endorphins. <laughs> That's it. Uh, well, we're going to be talking today about closed claims involving CRNAs and SRNAs. And Marjorie, why don't you just give a little bit about your background to our listeners who might not know you and then tell us why you think this topic is important. Okay. Well, I have been a CRNA for like 27 years. I graduated from the Charity Hospital Xavier University School of Nursing Anesthesiology. So, you know, I've got some great trauma training down in New Orleans and um, been an educator for the past, I guess, about 19 years. So I'm currently semi-retired. I still do some OR things and I, I do education and research. So closed claims are really important so that CRNAs and SRNAs can be aware of safety concerns that may impact the outcome of a malpractice claim. So if they hear about it and they see, well, what are people getting sued over or being brought into claims about what can I do to avoid that? So that's why I think this area is really important. Yeah, you know, I just, as you were talking, John Fetcho just popped in my head. And I remember talking to John about a claim that had been filed. The CRNA was at the hospital. And I can't remember the type of policy, but whatever it was, they did not have to talk to the CRNA to settle the claim. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the CRNA did not even know that the claim had been settled until they were going to get credentialed somewhere else. And it popped up. And she said, what the heck is this? And said, oh, you had, it was like a million dollar claim or something. It was a big deal. Um, and she went back and sure enough, they had settled this claim and she had no clue what was going on. I mean, that, that just amazed me. It's staggering. Yeah. So this, I think this, not that this is about that, but I mean, you, it just made me think about that um, after the fact. So again, why is this so important, Marjorie? What for our average listener out there who says, eh, this doesn't apply to me. Why should they pay attention to this? Well, as you'll hear, you know, people get named in claims. And you, had the, you just gave an example of a CRNA who had no clue. And, and she was named, he or she was named in a claim and it, it was settled. But people were named in claims, even if you do everything right and you follow standard of care. There are things that people are doing that are um, preventable. They're preventable. Uh, we're doing things in our practice that, you know, we shouldn't be. And so, you know, doing closed claims and bringing this to the attention of us and our colleagues, that helps to, you know, bring this to light and let people know, oh, well, yeah, people are getting named in claims for not paying attention. Or, you know, an example is going into the operating room with malfunctioning equipment. You know, we've, I've seen several claims where people say, well, you know, the SAT monitor doesn't always work, but you know, I've never had a problem before. So we just went ahead with the case and then they end up with a patient with an anoxic encephalopathy and the patient either passes away or is stuck in a vegetative state for the rest of their, their life. So it's really important to hear about things that you could be eventually named in a case about and to be vigilant. Marjorie, why don't you define exactly what close claims are, how you've got access to them, and how you became involved in this whole process? Sure. So several years ago, Dr. Lorraine Jordan and the um, ANA Foundation 
put out a call for researchers who are interested in closed claims research. So about a team of 15 of us signed up to do this. But, you know, I wasn't really sure what a closed claim was. So, you know, it was explained to us that they're actually malpractice claims that have been processed and completed, including all the reviews and appeals. So the these were all claims that were no longer in service. They weren't being adjudicated in the courts or anything. So the outcomes could have been settlements or they could have been court cases with judgments or dismissal. So they were all finished. So, of course, you know, that sensitive information that we're privy to. So everybody had to sign a confidentiality agreement. Mm-hmm. And there was an initial descriptive analysis. And I'll talk about that in a, in a minute. And once that was finished, teams formed and kind of based on our areas of interest, we started looking at these claims to look at the qualitative information like the depositions and the we looked at the anesthesia records and the surgical notes and any kind of any other information that was available. And so several teams went into cardiovascular complications, went into OB, cosmetic surgery, regional anesthesia, preventable claims, documentation. There was one on death and transfer of care and production pressure. So those were the areas that people went out in the qualitative area. But some of the key findings in the initial descriptive analysis were that over half the CRNAs in the claims were independent contractors and they were male and they've been practicing between 10 and 50 years. So it wasn't just, you know, a lot of people assume that the younger and new anesthetists, the ones who are going to be named in these lawsuits or claims, but it's not, it's the ones who are kind of mid-career. Most of the patients were females Caucasian, and they were had a physical status of like two or three. When the height and weight were known, the majority of them were obese. And so that's a problem right now. We know our society and, you know, Sharon, you're in the OR, I'm in the OR. And it's like, when I was in training, if I had a patient who was 200 pounds, I was scared. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. Now, if I get a patient that's 200 pounds, I'm like, dang, it's my lucky day. You know, you know right? You know, so we've really come a long way in, you know, 20 something years, but the mean age of the patients were 50 years old. Most of the adverse events occurred in hospitals and followed by ambulatory centers. Mm -hmm. And again, most of these events were confirmed to have occurred while anesthesia was being given during the intra-anesthesia period. However, less than half of these adverse events were recognized by the anesthesia provider during this time. So this really emphasizes the importance of vigilance. Like, so, you know, for example, a patient being apneic, become an apneic, and, and a lot of CRNAs just weren't paying attention or didn't, you know, didn't pick up that the patient was actually not breathing anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the most frequent surgeries that were involved were orthopedic, general surgeries, cosmetic, OB, and neurological procedures. Most of the cases were involved with general anesthesia or a combination of general and regional techniques. Mm -hmm. And only about a third of the claims involved monitored anesthesia care or regional anesthesia by itself. The most common serious injury was death. And the most common negative outcome was due to a respiratory event, which I think, you know, pretty much we've all learned in school was respiratory events are one of the leading causes of malpractice claims. And then, for when people filed a claim and the mo- most of them involved a death or temporary or permanent major injury, which means like paraplegia, blindness, brain damage, 
loss of limbs or in the temporary major injury or like burns, surgical material left in the patient and drug side effects. So Marjorie, you know, I was sitting here thinking as you were talking, you, you and Sharon are in the OR and you're seeing these obese people and I'm in the Walmart seeing the obese people. So we're all seeing them, right? Right. Yeah. But you don't um, have to put them to sleep. No, but sometimes I wish I knew how I could do that. But um, you I know. feel the same way about you sometimes, Jeremy. I'm sure you do. <laughs> As might a lot of people, but that's okay. Uh, another topic for another time, right? That's it. That's so, it. but I just kind of drilled down on a point that you made, Marjorie. Is you said it wasn't the newer CRNAs that were involved in mm-hmm. this. It was. 10 years, I think you said to 50 years. Mm -hmm. And my mind directly went to, you know, if after you've been doing it for 10 years, was it that there were things that maybe were on autopilot that could have caused this and, you know, not, I don't want to say not paying attention enough, but, you know, we all, as we, you know, get better at what we do, you just do it and don't even think about Mm -hmm. it. And you think I'm good at this. Was there any findings such as that in the studies, Marjorie? Well, so some of the things that we, when we started doing our qualitative analysis, out of all the different studies that we found, there were several common themes that were found throughout, whether it was the cosmetic, the death, the cardiovascular, cosmetic. But one of the biggest things was, um, well, we can have the lack of vigilance and knowledge deficit, you know, and the errors in judgment. So this, again, was an example for a knowledge deficit was, was tied to a patient with uh, electrocautery burn. And in the deposition, the CRNA stated that they were unaware that, that the uh, oxygen should be decreased when using electrocautery around the head or face region. Oh my. And the patient is not intubated. So, you know, that's something we're, we're all taught, but I mean, and Sharon, when I was in school, it was just kind of like, yeah, they didn't really emphasize a, an FIO2 of less than 30% right. if you're doing something around the face and you're not intubated. So, you know, so it could be that, but some of the other things that we found were ineffective communication patterns. Mm. That was a big one. And it could have been between the CRNA and the patient, between the CRNA and other anesthesia providers, and between the CRNAs and and other types of providers. So an example for a patient was there was a patient who was having cosmetic surgery. And we know we love to be beautiful. We want to have our cosmetic surgery. However, there was a patient who failed to tell the anesthetist that she had some recent chest pains. Mm. She wanted her surgery so bad and she just just didn't tell anybody. There was nothing in the pre-op about Mm. that. She didn't mention it. There was no previous record saying that she had heart disease or anything. So Unfortunately, this patient died, you know, after she went home, had a, a massive MI and the family said, oh, yeah, she's been having chest pain and oh, she was supposed to be worked up. And But the patient didn't tell, tell the anesthesia provider. So the anesthesia provider was named in that suit, but I, and there was just no way the anesthesia provider could have known because it wasn't disclosed. Another case of like between a nurse anesthetist and a surgeon There was a a case that involved, again, a facial fire, and the uh, surgeon didn't tell the CRNA that he was going to be using electrocautery, and the CRNA had like just a little bit of, you know, two to three liter nasal cannula oxygen on and then caused a fire. And if the CRNA had known that the surgeon was going to whip out the electrocautery, could have said, hey, stop for a minute and 
let's get this oxygen off and out. So, you know, that's, that's a problem. Others were, you know, a vi- there were a lot of violations of AANA standards. And another thing that was really interesting, we saw a lot of production pressure and normalization of deviance. Yeah. So, you know, recently on AANA Connect, I saw somebody made a comment about normalization of deviance. And so we're like, well, what is that? Well, it was a term that was coined by Diane Vaughn during the space shuttle Challenger incident. And so mm-hmm. it's defined as the gradual process through which unacceptable practice or standards become acceptable. And as the deviant behavior is repeated without catastrophic results, it becomes a social norm for the organization. So, you know, during the space shuttle, they knew theoretically that O-ring could cause a problem and cause an explosion, but because it had been cold before, and they've never had a catastrophic incident. They went ahead. It was a go launch, but they were still battling it back and forth up until the launch. And we know what happens. But an example that we found, I mean, there were several in the claims that one example that comes to mind is a CRNA was providing non-operating room anesthesia in an area that had monitors that weren't always working. They were kind of intermittently mm-hmm. working. And it was just a mat case. The patient was prone and the um, SAT monitor was not working appropriately. And there was no entitled CO2 monitor available. So the patient had an anoxic event and expired a few days after the procedure. And prior to the case and reading the, um, you know, the interviews, the CRNA had noted, you know, there's had some concern about the equipment wasn't always working and, but nobody had ever previously had an adverse event. So they just went ahead and, did the case and unfortunately had the catastrophic event. Wow. I know. (laughs) What do you say to that? I mean, the production pressure piece, I think, is becoming a bigger piece as we go along. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Now, let's go back. So you did these closed claims and when closed claims spanning, what, 2003 to 2012, has there been a follow-up since then? Has another one of these been done looking at closed claims and identifying problems? Not yet. We're in the, um, Dr. Jordan is in the process of trying to find someone to work with at a different company because the company we work with, I think they're no longer in mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a touchy situation going to an insurance company and saying, hey, why don't you let my group of people look at your claims? And, you know, there's a lot of legal implications sure. there. And how do we get the information to you in a secure manner? 
So that is on the list. And I'm hoping that we can look at it and hopefully things have gotten better, you know, but I don't know. Well, the reason why I asked that is because from 2012 to 2021, the one factor that you stated seemed to pop up in a lot of the closed claims was obesity. And it has just gotten worse. And I say that because I I remember back when I first got out of school, if you did somebody in the office, we didn't allow anybody with a BMI over 40. Mm -hmm. Now we do them up to a BMI 55. Oh my gosh. Wow. In the office. Now I have done a couple that were right on the edge and sometimes a little higher, but we always tell them we've got to evaluate their airway. And you know, as well as I do that some people, you look at them and they look like me when they're laying there in the bed, long neck, (laughs) big mouth, and you know, Malin Potty one, and then you pull back the covers and it's like, oh my Lord, look what they were hiding. And so, you know, I can handle an airway so we have done some that are a little bit on the edge there. And, of course, they do fine. But in the last nine years, this problem <clears throat> has soared. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. I, you know, I was also thinking, you know, with COVID <laughs> that, you know, for a while, I mean, obviously surgeons weren't doing surgery. And then when you bring surgery back online, they're trying to turn those rooms over as fast as mm-hmm. they possibly can. I mean, obviously, those surgeons want to do those cases because it's more money for them, and there's going to be pressure on them to turn over, and the hospital is going to put pressure to, to turn over quicker and to, and, do more cases. and to do more cases, and it just leads itself to probably more errors on the anesthetist part because there's a lot of pressure there. Well, um, you bring up another good point, though, Jeremy, and we know that people did not get care during COVID. So right. they're sicker, Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what COVID is going to mean long term. So it's going to be interesting looking at some of these closed claims a little bit further down the road after COVID. Yeah. Right. And yeah. one of our teams is really interested in production pressure. So we did like a whole metasynthesis about the production pressure and showed that you know, there's a culture, the hospital culture doesn't embrace, they say they embrace safety, but the whole production pressure seems to take precedence over safety. So, and it's gone on to there are a few studies that are getting ready to take place about production pressure in CRNA. So hopefully we'll be able to bring to light to our institution saying, stop it. Just because, you know, we're in normalization deviance, we haven't had a problem yet, doesn't mean that you aren't going to have a problem. And it's, you know, not, it's, it's more than just harm to the patients, harm to the CRNAs. You know, we're the second victim. You know, people don't think about, you know, when you have something terrible happen, you just feel awful. Right. You feel isolated and it's just like, and and nobody thinks about you, you know, like, how can I take, you're worried about being shamed by your colleagues. Like, Ooh, did you see what so-and-so did, you know, instead of, Oh my gosh, that could have been me. That could have happened to me. And so that's huge. And Sharon, I, I came out here, I I was in a care team in New Orleans for 20 something years. I come out here, I'm in independent practice and, you know, no anesthesiologist or anything. I'm like, like, or oh, even yeah, a you second can do uh, cases hands. up to 50 BMI. Ooh. I'm like, what? 50? Mm-hmm. 
Are you kidding me? And now like, you're saying 55 and, and even though it's mat cases or sedation, you know, as well as I know, those things can go south in a, you know, in a hot minute. So. Well, and they're really unsecured airways. That's the yes. other thing. They are unsecured yes. airways. And, you know, just like you alluded to before, I'll come in and I'll be looking at my caseload and, you know, I might be doing 22 cases today and I don't have a single person with a BMI under 30. Gosh, Sharon, what, because I know the situations you work in and are there situations where you walk in and go, I'm not going to do this. And then I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up. What is the reaction of the physician at that point to you and maybe whomever you're working for yeah. at well, the time? Well, I have had some incidences with with physicians. I'll give you one example. I had a young girl come in for EGD upper. Mm-hmm. Bad asthma. She smokes. Mm. She sounds like crap. And when I go up to pre-oper, you know, that you have two minutes to do, she's got a healing trach scar. Oh, jeez. And I just said, uh, so what happened here? And she was two weeks postpartum. And she said, I had to have a C-section, and I come out with a trach. Well, I have no I mean, who in now, this day Sharon, and age? I've heard of making mistakes, but if they're cutting up here for the C-section, something's wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, even I know that, okay? But, you know, <laughs> nowadays people don't come out with trachs. You know, 30 years ago, you didn't have LMAs. I mean, you right. went to a trach, but not now. So I had no idea what had occurred. And so I talked to the surgeon and I, or proceduralist. And I, you know, you always try and be nice and you just say, you know, I really don't think this is an office case. I think she needs to go to the hospital to be done. And he starts screaming at me. I mean, you can see his jugular veins standing out in his neck. He is just screaming, you canceling my case. Are you canceling my case? And I just let him go and I look at him and I smile and I say, no, sir. I'm canceling the anesthesia. You're welcome to do it if you would like. (laughs) I'm going to go sit down in the lounge and get me a cup of coffee, and I'll be ready for the case after this one. The nurses are crying. They're like, if you don't want to do it, you know, and I will tell, I will tell proceduralists sometimes, if I'm nervous, you should be terrified. Yeah. 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 And so... I just went and sat down and waited, and sure enough, the nurses come and got me, and they said, he's going to send her to the hospital, and he's ready for you. So I went back in there, and you could have cut tension. the tension <laughs> with a knife. Exactly. And finally, when he calmed down, he said, so what will they do for this patient at the hospital that you can't do for her here? And I said, well, in reality, probably nothing. I said, in 99% chance, she would have been fine. I said, I am here to keep the 1% from happening. And I've worked too hard for my license. And I know you have worked too hard for your license and yeah. we are on the same page and patient safety is your goal and my goal and I what's he going to say yeah. oh no i don't give a flip about that but i said you know at at the hospital the difference is there's somebody standing around picking their nose right 
you got you got hands, you've got equipment, you've so got there yeah. is nobody here but me and you, and you don't know how to help me yeah. on a bad airway. Yep. Um. So. I've had, that's just oh, sure. one of them. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, you know, all CRNAs are, are, are type A, pretty strong personalities, educated well. But, I, you know, I have a feeling that there might have been some CRNAs that wouldn't have done what you did, Sharon. I mean, and that kind of leads me in, Marjorie, to some of these studies. You know, were there unexpected findings that you found as well there? And were there some positive things that, you know, you also found out of this? Right. And I was actually, as Sharon was saying that, one of the unexpected findings I had, we had was a lot of CRNAs, they had exactly what Sharon was saying. I'm not really, I don't think this is a case we should be doing here. But they allowed the surgeon to kind of bully them or wherever they were. And they went ahead and did the case anyway. And then they ended up having a poor outcome. I'd say in several, several of them that we read, I knew I shouldn't have done this. Another mm. one is like, yeah. they, uh, you know, a surgeon had said they wanted a, a block on the patient and they, and they didn't sit still. And the, the CRNA is like, I'm not really comfortable doing this and didn't have a high spinal. And so it's just like, ah. Uh, so, you know, other unexpected findings were CRNAs can follow the standard of care and do nothing wrong, uh-huh. but still poor still outcomes named. happen and <laughs> yep. you get named. Yep. And another thing that really bummed me out was almost half of the anesthesia claims were preventable by us and our colleagues. Wow. And over half of them involved inappropriate anesthesia management. Hmm. So, you know, the preventable thing is an unexpected and sad finding, but also it's a positive finding because guess what? They're preventable. We can teach. We can, that. Teach. We can yeah. learn from these. So, you know, the positive findings were CRNAs who had excellent documentation followed standard care, even though they were named, they were dismissed. So we saw several of those that yeah. just popped out. So, you know, while, you know, we need to really be vigilant follow standard of care. I, you know, Sharon, in school, when you hear standard of care, I teach professional aspects. So I go over standard of care and people are just like, their eyes are glazing over. <laughs> but you know, since I started doing closed claims research, I get to bring these cases in and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, I guess I better. Yeah. Uh-huh. If my, you know, if my set isn't working, maybe I shouldn't start that case until I have equipment that's working, but then you're going to have people tapping their feet saying, let's get this ball rolling. And, you know, it's a standard of care. Having functioning monitors and having the alarms on is a standard of care. So, you know, you have that. I I teach students, I'm in the OR. You got that going for you. It's a standard of care. I'm not going to violate the standard of care. Well, I've found that if you say, you know, we both have the same goal, doctor, and yep. that's patient safety. What are they going to say? No, I'm not concerned about that. Right. right. And so if you just give them an out, you know, back to the production pressure thing, you know, and I may have heard this at one of the lectures because I know that Lorraine does one on the cases, the different cases in the closed claims you do too, and highlight them. But the GI model, you know, where the CRNAs work for the GI doc. Right. And I think that has huge potential 
for problems because conflict of interest. Yeah, then. well, yeah. you know, they'll say to you, "Hey, I sign your sign paycheck. Your yep. You put this patient to sleep." Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have constantly <clears throat> been amazed that this has not been addressed in more detail, and I, I just, I think that it is a huge place. Interesting. That could be problematic. Well, and, and I don't know the answer to this. And Marjorie, you're you're an educator, and you know Sharon, you probably know everything. But um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. at least I tell him but, I do. But yeah, exactly. You got me believing it anyway. But you know, our students and even anesthetists, and I guess it's kind of a two prong approach here. But are they taught how to say no in the proper? way mm. and that's a good question you know i mean and you guys know it i mean some crnas can come across as though let me put this politely it's my way or the highway and you know i'm just wondering are students being taught and then the second part of my question marjorie was you know some of the things you said they were preventable and they can be educated and it sounds to me like this mean old test that everybody's going to have to take maybe could be tailored to some of these situations that maybe weren't handled properly to educate our CRNA community on ways to prevent some of these episodes. So I think now we're talking more about communication. And I know in the last two programs I've worked with, we're dealing with educating students about communication, about speaking up. And even when I was in school, some of the CRNAs were like, yeah, just, you know, we don't really rock the boat mm. or, and when I first graduated, there was something I was like, you know, one of these docs told me, turn off your alarms. I'm like, no, I'm not turning off my alarms. That's standard of care. And the CRNA I was given report or getting report from, she was an old timer. And she's like, oh no, we, we just go ahead and do what they say. I'm like, no, this is not, you know, the 1930s. We're not the handmaidens. It's about patient safety. So that's what I try to teach the students to be, you know, kind of like passive aggressive, but be nice about it. Like this is a patient safety issue. I'm concerned about this. And, you know, right now with the team steps, everybody's supposed to be able to say what they want to say. And if you have a concern, but we know that it really irritates the surgeons. If you say, we're not going to do this case. And you get, even if you have a, a good valid reason, when you put the patient safety, like Sharon said, they can't deny it. They may be angry, but once you say, you know, we're on the same page, it's all about patient safety, then, you know, they can't, they can't get mad. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Here are some of the things that, you know, that we found were violations of standards. And and this is how maybe you can approach it a little bit differently. Like one of the things we found were the pre-op, doing a pre-op assessment. A lot of us, I mean, Sharon, you know, you said you got two minutes. I have the same thing, two or three minutes before you get to see the patient. 
And sometimes that's not enough. And, you know, and, and sometimes that'll bite you in the rear end. You know, for example, we had a case where a morbidly obese patient was supposed to uh, come in for a procedure under regional. So the CRNA didn't really conduct a thorough pre-anesthesia evaluation, didn't really assess the airway. And they had to convert to a general anesthetic and the CRNA couldn't ventilate or intubate mm. and didn't have a difficult airway cart immediately available. So when the CRNA could finally intubate, the patient already has suffered an anoxic encephalopathy and, you know, eventually expired. And the patient apparently had previous anesthesia complications, but the CRNA didn't know that because they didn't revert didn't look at the chart. So hmm. always, if you can conduct a, as thorough of a pre-anesthesia assessment as you can, but even, you know, I do a lot of GI work. I'm looking at those people's airways. I'm like, mm-hmm. this could go bad. I need to know if I'm going to be able to intubate this patient. Mm-hmm. And where I work, thankfully, we have a, a McGrath in every room. So, but so those are some, you know, that's one thing. The other thing is about, you know, when you haven't, you're a standard seven, implement and adjust your care plan based on the patient's physiologic status. So we had people that weren't really adjusting, paying attention. So, you know, we had one where an elderly patient was with multiple comorbidities was scheduled for a procedure in a cardiac cath lab. They didn't put any oxygen on the patient. Now, you know, you and I are probably thinking, oh my gosh, he's serious. But, you know, people don't because production pressure or normalization of deviance. But this patient had a satin in the low 80s and was hypotensive and bradycardic. And the the CRNA thought the monitors were malfunctioning again and began to just pay attention to the equipment and not to the patient. And then the cardiologist said something about, hey, there's some dark blood and the uh, heart's kind of motionless on the fluoroscopy. And the CRNA was still troubleshooting. like, no, it's the monitors. Okay, so... Yeah, we te- this is basic nursing, put the whole picture together. And, and one of the things I find with, with new students, when they first get in the OR, their comfort zone is the clipboard charting and looking at the monitor. And I forget to look at the patient to see, mm-hmm. is this all put together and does this, does this make sense to me? So you really have to be vigilant and continuously monitor your patient utilize the patient assessment with your monitors. If your monitors aren't working, just reach down and, you know, check a carotid pulse, look at their, their lips and see if they're blue. And, you know, one of the things I say, I give oxygen to everybody unless it's contraindicated when I'm doing sedation. Absolutely. I tell all the nurses I go oxygen on first, oxygen off last. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, you know, again, people, here's another area where we found a lot of violation. And even now I still hear it from students going into clinical, not monitoring your twitches with the twitch monitor when you give a muscle relax. And now it's not as bad now with Sagamidex, Mm -hmm. but we saw a case where a patient was having an eye procedure. They had some rocuronium. They had to decrease the gas because of the hypotension and the patient bucked Mm -hmm. and got, was blinded. But the, mm-hmm. the CRNA never did check twitches to see if, well, maybe they need to, a little more muscle relaxing. You know, I'm turning down the gas, but maybe I should mm-hmm. increase my muscle relax. And so, you know, that's another thing is when, when you're using, even with Sagamidex, still monitor, you know, monitor your muscle relax. And that's a standard of care. And then, um, wait, there were two that I specifically remember. And I'm, again, I'm not sure if it was, I was listening to you or Lorraine. And 
one of them was a case where they had to get the patient out and it was on the second floor of the facility and the gurney wouldn't fit when they called the EMS to get the patient out. Wow. So I just went and oriented at a new uh, place a couple of weeks ago and it's on the second floor. First uh-huh. thing I said is, has anybody checked to make sure the gurney will go on to the elevator if we've got to get a patient out of here? And they said, yes, we've checked that. And I can wow, tell. But I mean, that's one thing that I would have never thought about. Another one was, and if you do endoscopy, you know, sometimes they'll have some passive regurge and, you know, you'll have some green bile on the pillow. And a patient had gotten a corneal burn because the bile was on the pillow. Uh, and, you know, they the can't eye. blink because uh-huh. they're so deep and the bile had gotten in their eye. So every time a patient does that, I'll hold the head up and I'll have the nurse flip the pillow over. And they're, they're always giving me crap. And I'm like, listen, there's something behind this. Um, so I'm holding wow. the head up. You flip the pillow. <laughs> Plus it looks nasty on the pillow when you take the patient out. <laughs> right. But little things like that, that, I think that these closed claims just bring it up that you wouldn't necessarily have thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, all great stuff. And it's obviously stuff that our CRNAs that are listening should hear and and know about. Marjorie, we want to thank you for being with us today and all the great work that you do. And you're also on the foundation board with me and uh, you you do a great job there. And, so as we kind of wrap up, anything you want to close on? Well, I just want to just remind our colleagues, you know, just follow your standard of care, document well. I know we're taught that, but please document well and don't succumb to production pressure. I mean, that's a real problem. And, you know, just be very nice about it and just bring up patient safety. You know, just just be safe. And, you know, it, you work too hard for your, like Sharon said, you work too hard for your, you know, for your license to have it thrown away. Yeah. And not to mention the financial side of things, which, you know, I'm always going to bring up. Oh, absolutely. You know, it costs a lot of money. Yes. And it could cost you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, paying attention and doing the things you should be doing are a whole lot cheaper and better for your pocketbook as well. So True that. All right. Uh, Lightning round. Your favorite time, Sharon. I know. I love it. We need like, uh, you know, some great music right here, Walter. You know, lightning round. I know. We need something good. Walter will come up with it, our editor. So, Marjorie, if you could have dinner with someone alive or dead, who would it be? I would say Jesus. Oh, I, can't I love Jesus. I think it'd be so better. cool to, to meet him. And yeah. I don't think you'd eat much, though. No, maybe not. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I always use that whenever mm-hmm. I'm teaching about politics and advocacy because I say, you know, go out to dinner with somebody and sit down and talk to them at work for Jesus, breaking bread. So, yeah, you know, it'll right. work with a politician too. Absolutely. get that opportunity. Yeah. Marjorie, what are you grateful for right now? I am grateful for my husband. I love my husband. He's such an awesome Guy, so supportive. I mean, I can come up with some crazy and get involved in some crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, and, that's you know, and Sharon knows Pierce has a great, and she has a great husband yeah. too. They just go along with our craziness and support us. I and mean, I couldn't, 
I couldn't pick a better husband. So that's who I'm grateful well, that's for. That's great. That's awesome. That is good. So what's your favorite movie? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I didn't see that until I was in college, but I don't know. I just love that. that I don't know. There's something about that movie that I just. I think I, one of our old lobbyists, Dave Hebert, was in that movie. Oh, really? Was he really? I, yeah, I think it was One huh. Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm pretty sure that's it. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Sure enough. Huh. All right, Marjorie, what's your superpower? Hugs. Hugs. I love giving hugs. That's my superpower. <laughs> See, I told you she was good I know. At it. I'm going to have to try these hugs out, you know? <laughs> well, Austin, here we go. That's right. Yes. Yep. Hopefully, we'll all be together in Austin. And they're non romantic. Yep. They're, oh, they're uh, super platonic. <laughs> yes. They're full of endorphins. Oh, that's awesome. Well, the world needs more hugs, Marjorie. You're not kidding. I agree. Right? So, you are not kidding. Well, Marjorie, we want to thank you for being on with us today and sharing this great information and for all the wonderful work that you do to support the CRNA community and the knowledge that you expound. Uh, we just really appreciate you being here. Yes. And thank you for all the work y'all are doing. Y'all are awesome. Thank you, Marjorie. Thank well, you for Sharon, me. I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show, you know, the single best way to help our show grow is Sharon. Like us, share us on social media, tell your friends and tell your people that you're not friends with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to change that. You know, I say single best way, you rattle off like five things. But that's know, good. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> you you know, know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts. In the country. Yeah. Yes. So, and we're going to number one. But we got to be in the top 10 first. That's it. So tell your friends, like us, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until next time. It's a wrap. <laughs> Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. 
Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.